This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Aren't you forgetting your ruby slippers? You're guilty of nothing! Yeah, I will be very. Action! I hereby christen this budget Barbie camper Priscilla. Is butter a carb? I'm almost actual! You don't! This is going to get me my third Tony Award. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Alan and Daniel with you today. Now we have rolled out the red carpet and got our best tuxedos on because the biggest night in Hollywood is nigh. This Sunday or Monday morning, our time here in Australia, Hollywood royalty will descend on the Dolby Theatre for the biggest night in Hollywood. It is, of course, the 95th Academy Awards. So we are celebrating the Oscars this week on Outtakes. Coming up later in the program, we are casting our predictions for the winners of the biggest categories of the evening. We're also revisiting our chat with Catherine Martin, who is nominated in three categories this year. Uh, Best Picture, Best Costume Design, Best Production Design. Of course, all three categories for her work on Elvis. Uh, So that's coming up later in the program as well. Our really big program, jam-packed program today to celebrate the Oscars. Totally. Another one. Hey, are you wearing the same tuxedo that you wore last year? I am. Come on. I would have expected a little bit more va-va-va-boom this year, you know, uh, you know. Maybe something that was a bit crossover with a bit of a gown, a bit of a train. (laughs) Billy Porter. Billy Porter-esque. I am enjoying your pastel pink suit, though. Oh, listen. Oh, goodness. You know, do you know how many fittings this has taken? Just just the one because I'm in such (laughs) Just fit like a glove straight off the rack, right? Like a god, yes, straight away. But you know what? I wish I wish we actually were in attendance at the Oscars because apart from everything else, have you heard about the gift bags that nominees in the major categories receive? I have heard about I have heard about the gift bags. I find it just absolutely disgusting in this capitalist world that these people who make bucket tons of money are getting these massive gifts, and for what? I mean, what what's in it this year? What are they getting this year? Have you I'll tell it? you. I've looked into it. I've looked into it because okay. each tell each me, bag is valued at approximately two hundred thousand Australian dollars, right? Each oh, gift bag. Okay. Oh my god, two hundred thousand. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Right. So in the bag, in the bag, and this must be a very big bag. Uh, in mm-hmm. the bag, a three night stay for eight at a luxury. Uh, a luxury resort on a volcanic Italian island. Oh, so you can okay. have your own white lotus experience. 
<laughs> so to be on, on Sicily with your entourage. Okay. Plots of Australian land in support of conservation efforts. I saw, I heard about that one square meter. They can't do anything with it. It's a gimmick, but it's a good gimmick. Yeah. I'll tell you what they can do something with. Oh, Liposuction okay. vouchers. <laughs> and then, and then once you've had your liposuction, they've got Japanese milk bread for you. Uh, Okay. Vegan-friendly body butter. Okay. Facial rejuvenation procedures. Okay. Radio. I'm, I'm up for that. Fertility supplements. Fertility supplements. Yeah, for that one too. Well, you know, <laughs> depends. I mean, like, is it an aphrodisiac? Is it, you know, is it, a, it's, is it something to enhance the libido or is it just about, you know, making babies? I'll tell you what else is a fertility supplement. They've got a luxury Canadian getaway. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good aphrodisiac <laughs> to me. In the wintertime, if you're travelling in the winter. <laughs> Perhaps not so much in the winter. Edible massage oil Ooh, and okay. hand-harvested dates and manuka honey. Well, I mean, like, I would struggle to eat $200,000 worth of Manuka honey and dates. I must say, I would not. I must say, I, I would absolutely not. Right, so... But, Dan- but, Daniel, this year I came prepared. You know, you've said nothing about this beautiful pink helmet that I've got on my head that's protecting my entire face. You know, I am worried this year that... You know, after last year's example of random acts of violence, you know, you've got to come protected. Everyone's got to be coming in their um, battle gear. (laughs) Yeah, I I must say in your pastel pink tuxedo and helmet, you look exactly like Jennifer Coolidge on her moped in, (laughs) given that we're running with the white lotus, white lotus puns. I'll take, I'll take that. (laughs) We should all be lucky enough to be likened to Jennifer Coolidge these days, right? Right iconic and I'm, I'm happy to take the gong thanks Steve. let's talk about the nominees this year obviously every year we have an eye to diversity at the oscars and diversity has been a big word at the oscars for a number of years now the oscars have come under fire uh for a lack of diversity in years gone by and there's been a real marked effort i think to increase diversity amongst the major categories uh, do you think that we can see the results of those efforts this year? Well, you know what, Dee? I mean, when you look at Best Actor, not a single person of colour there, not a single queer person as far as I'm aware, none. It's in the other It's in the other categories. So it's, tell me, what do you think? Well, I think across the leading categories, that is leading actor and leading female actor, you got one, uh, one. one person of colour. Michelle, yeah. One, but she is the first openly Asian identifying woman nominated in the best actress category ever. So that in itself is a, it's an achievement, but really poor that it has to be in the context of her being just the only uh, person of color nominated in a category. Now, if we look to the supporting actor categories, there's a little bit more diversity there and actually viewed as a whole, 11 out of the 20 nominees are from countries other than the US, which is in itself a marker of diversity, perhaps not. Um, the kind of diversity that we were asking for, but it does show some right. some effort. So 11 of the 20 <clears throat> actors nominated are from outside uh, the US and all of the Best Actor nominees are first-time nominees as well. So, in fact, Kate Blanchett is the only nominee this year in those four acting categories who's been 
a winner in past years. So we are starting to see a move away from the kind of elitism that we were seeing in these categories in years gone by. I think that much we can concede. Are Mm -hmm. we there yet? Hell no, we're not there yet. But I think we're making strides slowly, slowly, slowly. And you know what? We'll be having the same conversation in 10 years' time about this. You know, the, the Academy seems to move very slowly. Or it's like two steps forward, one step back. So, you know what, I'm not holding my breath, but as you say, some positive signs. And while we're talking about diversity in the uh, categories here, I want to flag John Williams, who's nominated for his soundtrack to The Fablemans. He is the oldest ever Oscar nominee at age 90 to have penned a Oscar-nominated score at the age of 90. I think that's a fabulous achievement. He has he has been nominated for, get this, 53 Oscars in his career. Nominated for 53 Oscars, making him one of the most nominated people of all time, the most nominated person alive, coming in just behind Walt Disney, who had 59 nominations. So that's quite an achievement. I think that's pretty good. That's a wonderful achievement. And at 90, I mean, seriously, at 90, you know, I'm not, you know, at 90, I'm I'm absolutely certain I'm not going to be writing any, I'm not going to be winning any Academy Awards. I'm going to be sailing off into the sunset with a cocktail beside me. And I also think while we're just kind of pausing on some marked achievements, we also have to mention Angela Bassett, who's nominated for, uh, who's nominated for Best Supporting Female Actor. She is the first ever actor to be nominated for an award from a Marvel film. So that is an achievement in and of itself. But of course, Angela Bassett, a win for diversity as well, in in circumstances where some of the leading black stories, the, uh, The Woman King, for instance, or Till, these are films that everyone expected to be nominated because they were you know, traditional Oscar bait, um, uh, they were shut out from contention. So I think worth pausing on someone like Angela Bassett, who's long deserved uh, recognition from the Academy for her body of work. That's true. And I guess it was, uh, it was a, it's a numbers game. Eventually one of these Marvel films (laughs) have to get nominated. I mean, and it's just as well as getting nominated now, because I suspect, and this is the subject for another conversation, you know, that the Marvel DC comic universe film gig, I think it's running out of steam. It's running out of puff at long last. So yeah. yeah, well, about time. Now, one category that we do always like focusing on uh, here on Outtakes is the best original song category because it's so much fun to to celebrate the music behind the best films of the year. So over the course of today's program, we're going to play some tracks Uh, that are nominated for Best Original Song this year at the 95th Academy Awards. We are, of course, celebrating uh, the upcoming Oscars today on Outtakes. And to kick us off, this is Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever by (laughs) Rihanna. You're listening to Outtakes on Joy 94.9.
You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Alan and Daniel with you today as we celebrate the 95th Academy Awards, which will take place this Sunday in LA or Monday morning here in Australia. Uh, It's one of our favorite times of the year here on Outtakes where we can cast our predictions and guess who will take out the night's top awards. That's coming up later in the program. But first, we have to revisit our chat with Catherine Martin because because she's nominated for three Oscars this year, right? So Best Picture, uh, she was a producer on the film Elvis, Best Costume Design and Best Production Design, both of those again for her work on Elvis. But she is, these these nominations make her the uh, seventh female of all time to be nominated in three or more categories at any one event, putting her in the company of people like Barbara Streisand and Jane Campion. So what a thrill to have an Australian in that kind of company, uh, much less an Australian who has joined us here on Outtakes before. You know, you talked about Hollywood royalty and she would have to qualify as Hollywood royalty in that sense or Oscar royalty. Yeah. And she's been on our program, so that's fantastic. And and she's being nominated for such a fantastic film. I mean, look, you know, I know that it wasn't universally applauded and I know that we had some of our issues with Elvis, but overall I thought it was a wonderful film. You know, the only downside there, of course, was um, Tom Hanks, but we'll gloss over that <laughs> because the rest of it is so great and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Well, here is a taste of part of our chat with the tour de force behind this year's nominee, Elvis. The full chat is available at joy.org.au forward slash outtakes, or you can access any of our podcasts on your favorite podcasting platform. But here is, as I said, just a taste of our chat with the Oscar nominee, Catherine Martin. First up, congratulations. I saw the film last week. I've been humming Elvis tunes ever since. You must feel pretty awesome now that it's out into the world. I've got to say, I am very proud of the work collectively of all our team. And I think at this time when everything is so polarised, what is interesting about the movie in terms of the characterisation of Elvis is that it's a human story set against a huge American historical backdrop of the civil rights movement and Vietnam and it's sort of the fall of innocence after the war of America into a period of great social change. And to me, what's interesting, even though that the man is flawed, we see him as a universal figure who is very human. And despite his flaws and his inadequacies, he still creates a music which is can be universally appreciated. And it's about connection and I think that about art and Mm. culture and music kind of despite whatever issues there are within the human condition can rise above it and can connect people together and to me at this time when everything is so divisive I think that we need to really lean into our commonalities, if that's a word, rather than our differences. 
I'm not saying difference isn't very important. Difference makes the world interesting and vibrant and, you know, a far better place to live. But I think at this juncture in history, we really need to be focusing on what's really important and that what joins us rather than separating us. Before we get into actually talking about the film itself, because there's just so much to, to talk about there, I'm really interested to find out from you, what was your connection to Elvis before you started this project? Look, it was pretty sort of minimal in mm. the sense that I think I had a very similar reaction to probably most people in the audience who will end up seeing the movie yeah where you kind of know of Elvis, you appreciate his music, but you don't really think much about it. And I think that, you know, that's the great pleasure of making the movie is you start to be able to buy into this life of a real man and that it's not just a biopic, it's the story of two men who have a really complicated relationship, a symbiotic relationship. It's the story of the conflict between art and commerce and there are moments when that works wonderfully and other moments where it's incredibly negative. And I think they're the aspects that when Baz described the movie to me that really got my attention, that it was a bigger story than just a kind of fictionalized documentary about someone's life yeah you mentioned bears obviously your your partner in crime and in, in so yes. many ways when was it that bears actually came to you with this idea like when did this all start well he's always ever since i've known him for 30 years he's always been interested in elvis you know that's always been something in the back of his mind and then one of our produ- producers gail berman had garnered rights to actually be able to make an Elvis movie and she was pretty dogged in her pursuit of Baz to make this movie and that kind of I think lit a fl- you know lit the flame that ha- had been or you know turned up the pilot light on what <laughs> had been simmering in Baz for years it makes so much sense now that we see the final product. I think, you know, it's such an incredible spectacle. And, you know, your fingerprints are all over this as well, Catherine. You're a, we're a producer, you're the production designer and the con- costume designer as well. So your fingerprints are all over it in a good way. But what was one of the most rewarding aspects for you of being a part of this project? Oh, I think that so m- Like some small things like, you know, I had to costume so many men and it kind of really honed my fitting style and tailoring abilities on men. So that was a really nice technical aspect. You know, when you're just fitting like so many men, different shapes, sizes, length of arm, length of leg, body type, It's just like a really interesting process because you don't, one doesn't think about that as much as possibly you do when you're fitting women, but this was a really good technical exercise for me. And then the other thing was just 
the sheer scale of the movie allowed me to kind of, along with the incredible team I had working on it, whether it was Karen Murphy as a production designer Mm. or Kerry, who worked in wardrobe, or in Gracie, the supervising art director. It allowed me to work on a scale that I previously hadn't worked on before. So it was kind of, one, both absolutely terrifying (laughs) and at the same time really rewarding because when you manage to actually costume the entire audience at Russwood, wow. you just felt like you'd, you know, run a mile. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Alan and Daniel with you today as we celebrate the Oscars, which will descend on the Dolby Theatre in LA this Sunday on Monday morning here in Australia. Uh, It is one of our favourite times of year. And what we love so much about the Oscars, apart from kind of turning our noses up at all the glitz and glamour and... (laughs) Blatant consumerism. Extravagance, the the utter extravagance of it all. Uh, Apart from doing that, we love casting our predictions for who's going to win and what the upsets of the night are going to be. So, Al, let's turn our attention to some of the the bigger categories and let's start with Best Animated Feature, which is one of my favourite categories. Nominated this year for the award are Turning Red, Del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, The CB, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Which film is your pick for Best Animated Feature of the Year? Well, for me, I am going for Turning Red. I thought it was a fun film and, you know, a queer-leaning film, you would say. You know, I know that it's going to be be tough for Turning Red to to win this gig. I mean, they're up up against uh, Guillermo del Toro. I mean... Seriously, what, what what chance does it have? What about you? What do you, what would you what do you think? Al, I love Turning Red to Win. That was one of my favourite films of last year. It was such a beautiful, heartfelt film. Took us right back to the 90s and pop culture, kind of real celebration of pop culture, but also a celebration of authenticity, diversity. It was very queer-leaning in that respect. It was a real kind of celebration of culture clash, you know. True. Oriental mysticism on the one hand and uh, Western pop culture on the other. I I mean, Domi Shi is an up-and-coming talent. She, of course, was the director of this film, conceived it, and I think she deserves all the accolades. Unfortunately, I do not think this is her year. I think the award is going to go to Pinocchio, which I have to say, um, I love Del Toro. Pan's Labyrinth is one of my all-time favourite films, but this film was a bore. (laughs) I think... um, Oh, gee, uh, Robert Zemeckis did a new take on Pinocchio for Disney, and that was a disaster. Truly, it was. But I didn't find this film much more palatable. That said, it's much darker than the Disney take on Pinocchio. It's much more Del Toro. I think it's his his category to lose. But you never know. You know, we'll have to wait and see what uh, Domi Shi produces in the future, and you know, she might get her chance. I think she's someone to watch. I think she's someone to watch. But Al, let's turn our attention to the best screenplay category. The nominees this year in the best original screenplay category are, uh, the films are Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inishirin, uh, Triangle of Sadness, The Fablemans, and Tar. Um, do we even need to ask 
which film is going to take out the award? Uh, well, I mean, that's that's why we're having this conversation. We <laughs> that is we, that is what we're doing, isn't it? We do have to ask, but, <laughs> but you know, obviously, you're thinking there's a clear favourite. I am. I mean, but there could be a couple of clear favourites here. I mean, look, you know, Steven Spielberg is a darling of the Academy. Is he a clear favourite? You know, but. For me, I am rooting for the Triangle of Sadness. I just thought that I thought the screenplay, the writing, oh, it was explosive. It was like a it was like a, a stab in the eye for our Western culture, and uh, and and for class relations and race relations. Oh God, it was just it was like holding a mirror up to society and up to ourselves. I just thought it was incredibly well-written and it's actually really set me up to want to see Ruben Ostlund's other films. Yes, well, I was going to say Ruben Ostlund, uh, that would be a... Did you did you get my pronunciation there of Ostlund? <laughs> I was proud of that one. I thought it would put you in your place for trying to correct me with Del Toro. But, uh, <laughs> but I noticed what you did there. I let it go to the keeper. Um, you, you, let, you noticed when I said Guillermo. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, um, I think that would be a bit of an upset, but a very happy upset. I have to say a lot of people are really rooting for everything everywhere all at once. Uh, and a, the film resonated with a lot of people. It didn't resonate with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, Daniel. I, I was busting my guts to see this and I actually went out. I went to the cinema to see it when it first came out and I thought, this is going to be amazing. And it was, it was interesting. It wasn't amazing. I, sh- I shouldn't say this on air, but um, it put me to sleep. Like quite literally, put me. <laughs> I should. I, no, I didn't. I shouldn't say that, but it quite literally did that. Then again, it is one. Take Nova, for instance. It's one of its best performing films of all time. A lot of people really love this film, and there is no doubt that it is a front runner, having won almost every major award in the lead up to the Oscars. So there, there's no doubt that it's a front runner. I think it's going to take out the award for best original screenplay, but that does kind of dovetail into the best director category. So the uh, nominees for best director for the 95th Academy Awards are. Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostlund for Triangle of Sadness. Ruben Ostlund. Ruben Ostlund. There you go. There you go. Triangle of Sadness. Oh, I love that little oost that you have to put into it. Who's going to take out the award, Alan? Oh, listen, look. Oh, goodness, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I think, you know, Martin McDonough, he was the director of Three Billboards Outside um, Ebbing, Missouri, which I just thought was just a brilliant film. Steven Spielberg, as you know, is a darling. But for me, I, again, I'm going to sort of root for Ruben Ustland, but that's probably not going to happen. So that's my pick. But who's the favourite? I'll let you tell. I'll let you tell me. I'll give you my prediction. Right, I'd love Steven Spielberg to take out this award. Uh, he's one of the uh, most uh, most nominated directors of all time. Now, I think he's uh, second, equal second with Martin Scorsese. I like the Fablemans. Um, I thought it was nostalgic. I thought it was heartfelt. It was very tender for a Spielberg film, but it still had the majesty of his work. Um, I didn't love it, but I liked it. I thought Michelle Williams was fantastic. She was the highlight of the film for me. But I think 
I think he's in with a good chance because this would be a career award uh, more than an award for the, uh, this particular film. But also the, the Academy loves films about films, don't they? Think about The Shape of Water, for instance, or The Artist. You know, there's so many Oscar winners over the years that have really been homages to cinema. And that's exactly what this, this film was an homage to filmmaking and the love of filmmaking. But I think it's the Daniels award to lose you know i think uh everything everywhere all at once i really think they're shoe-ins for this award and conrad our co-host who's not with us today his pick uh for this category is also the daniels for everything everywhere all at once so i think it's theirs to lose why it was such a it's such a bizarre film i mean like it's an interesting film but it's so bizarre i mean what makes it so special from a directorial point of view well, that, that, that very thing, the fact that it's a unique perspective. And I think at this juncture, the, there's a real shift within the Academy to favour these, you know, this is an A24 film. It's an independent film. It's a unique perspective. It's an authentic voice. It's culturally resonant and rich. And I think the Oscar is looking to favour films that uh, are individualised in that way rather than the typical Oscar bait that uh, in many cases was shut out of the awards contention altogether this year. So, so you would say that the, uh, that the Academy is moving more in a direction where it's going to favour, you know, innovation, the artistry of filmmaking, as opposed to a, a, a more mainstream commercial element of, oh, let's have a blockbuster and let's uh, Not necessarily. I think the Oscars have always favoured innovation and artistry. But if I can put it this way, they're moving in a direction where they don't just favour white innovation and white artistry, <laughs> okay? And okay. and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, everything everywhere all at once is in contention, not just at this, at this race here at the Oscars, but, you know, at the other awards show too, because here is a unique voice. It's a unique perspective, but it's also, you know, whilst it's a unique voice and a unique perspective and whilst it's culturally rich, it's also in many ways typical Oscar fodder as well. So why don't we use that as a segue to move on to Best Supporting Female Actor. The nominees this year are Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Kerry Condon for The Banshees of Inishirin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Stephanie Hugh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Hong Chao for The Whale. Al, who do you think is going to take home the award for Best Supporting Actress? Oh, oh my God, this is this is not a prediction. This is absolutely, totally a an emotional pick. I want uh, Hong Chao to win this because I just thought her performance in The Whale was just so touching, so emotive. It was real. It was raw. It was, oh, and I just think she delivered it so well. I mean, it was such a difficult subject and I just loved, loved her performance. I mean, Angela was fantastic in The Black Panther. I mean, she was beautiful. She was gorgeous. She was a queen, both literally and metaphorically. But for me, it's that it's that a real emotional kick in the guts, which is why I'm going for Hong. Yeah, well, look, I asked Conrad, uh, again, who's not with us, what his pick was. Uh, he said three-way tie. <laughs> Angela Bassett uh, for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chao for The Whale, and Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So, look, oh, you guys are on the same page. What can I say? I think it, this one's a tight race, right? I'm going to eliminate Hong Chao. 
Um, I think oh. realistically, this is a race between Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I okay. actually think that this is Jamie Lee Curtis's award to lose. Not because I thought she was particularly fantastic in this film, although she was good, don't get me wrong. But because, again, this is one of those career awards. And I think it's her time. So uh, she is my pick. Let's use that as a segue to best female actor um, this year. Obviously, this is one of the more contentious categories. So the nominees for best leading actress in a motion picture are Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Al, who's your pick to take out this category? For me, it's going to be Michelle, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think it is it is her time as a prediction. I think, you know, it's such a, a an innovative film. It's very popular. It's got, got getting all the buzz. But Michelle has been around uh, for such a long time. And, of course, the first time I saw Michelle was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I just thought that was just a sensational film. I loved it, and I loved her performance in it. I've been a fan of hers ever since. Usually love everything that she's in, so I'm so thrilled that she's been nominated for Best Actress, and I'm, and I'm rooting for her. <laughs> Conrad's hedging his bets again. He says, Michelle Yao for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, or probably Kate. And <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and let's be honest, this is a race between the two of them. One of them is going to take out the award. Now, Kate Blanchett, um, this is her eighth nomination. Interestingly enough, every time she's nominated for Best Leading Actress, the film is named after her character. Have you noticed that? So think about this is Tar, Blue Jasmine, Carol, and two Elizabeth films. I mean, I find that kind of uncanny. But this puts her in, you know, she's now part of an elite club of actresses who have garnered eight nominations or more. There aren't all that many of them. She's in fine company. And actually, in this film, she's in nearly every scene in Tar. In the history of the Best Actress category, only Vivian Lee's performance in Gone with the Wind has more screen time than Kate Blanchett has in this film, Tar. So that's quite you know, a case in favour of Best Leading Actress. And I, I, well, you know what? That's going to be a tough record to beat Vivian Lee's because from memory, I think Gone with the Wind was almost a three-hour film. Oh, really? I thought it was like 23 hours. 20... <laughs> uh, at least that's how it, it felt. Very, it was a very long film. It was a very long film. Um, as much as I'd love Kate to win this award, I don't think she's ready to be amongst the company of Meryl Streep with three wins. Oh, that's contentious. That's controversy. I I, I want to see her bang out a few more films before she takes home that third Oscar. So I think, and I, I dare say the Academy will share my view. I reckon this is uh, Michelle Yeoh's award. You know, my initial thought to that is, is that that is cultural cringe. I think you should take that. Back. <laughs> that is an Australian. Oh, goodness. <laughs> No one loves Kate as much as I do. I know I've given Nicole Kidman a hard time over the years and some people might accuse me of being unastrated. But (laughs) but saying that Kate is not as worthy as Meryl... Those are some pretty big shoes. 
I just I just want to see a few more banger films from Kate before she takes home Oscar number three. Whereas Michelle, she doesn't have any. She's, you know, as you say, career recognition. It's her time. I think it's her award to lose. But let's move on, Al. I want to come to best actor category because this is also a pretty contentious category. The nominees for best actor. Why don't you take us through those nominees? We've got Austin Butler for Elvis. Uh, Colin Farrell for The Banshees, Brendan Fraser, The Whale, Paul Meskel for After Sun, and Bill Nighy for Living. Now, Conrad messaged me that After Sun is one of his favourite films of the year so far. He says it should be Paul Meskel, but he thinks Austin Butler will take out the award for Elvis. Who do you think is going to take home the award oh, this year? Is he, is he really going for Austin Butler? Yeah, he is. Really? Yeah. Wow. That, I think that's a big call. I, I absolutely, hands down, expect and fully predict Brendan Fraser for The Whale. I mean, he is absolutely the best actor this year in any of those films. It was a tour de force, to use your words from earlier on today. Yeah, look, I'm on the same page as you, Al. I think it's his award to lose. I think it's a question of career recognition, but I also think uh, it is one of the best performances we've seen in a number of years. Uh, And I think also Darren Aronofsky, the director of... Uh, the whale. He's got a way of just pulling these performances out of these actors who have fallen out of the spotlight. Mickey Rourke took home the Academy Award for Best Actor for his turn in Wrestler or The Wrestler, whatever it was called. Uh, and I think Brendan Fraser's going to do it again with this film, The Whale. It's definitely, in my view, his award to lose. But having said that, I think Austin Butler at times was just his his portrayal of Elvis was uncanny. Well, I don't think it would be an upset if he won, but I do think it's Brendan Fraser's category to lose. Uh, we're rapidly running out of time. We are casting our predictions for the winners of the Academy Awards this Sunday or Monday morning here in Melbourne. Stay tuned. We're turning our attention to the best picture category right after this. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. I heard from the heavens You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. Alan and Daniel with you today as we celebrate the Oscars, which take place this Sunday in LA. So they're they're airing at 11am Monday morning here in Australia. It's the 95th Academy Awards. Uh, They take place at the Dolby Theatre. Jimmy Kimmel is hosting for the third time now. And that, of course, I have to say, Al, that was Hold My Hand. Um, That is Lady Gaga's hit from Top Gun Maverick. Now, we haven't talked a lot about Top Gun Maverick so far, but it, of course, is nominated for a number of awards, including Best Song uh, and Best Picture. Listen, it's a good film. Nonsense. That was, I swear, that film. I could not believe that that was the top grossing film of last year. I just couldn't believe it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was nostalgic. It took us back to the 80s. Like, I mean, like I lived through Top Gun, had all the music. You know, it was a it was a pop cultural icon at the time. It was huge. Well, Steven Spielberg himself credited the film with uh, reinvigorating and bringing back to life the cinema industry. And I think... That's not entirely inaccurate or inapposite. I I think he's got a point. That said, not for me. 
that film, not for me. I know, I know you're judging this harshly because you weren't born when the original Top <laughs> Gun came out. So you have, no, you have no idea just how impactful this film was on pop culture. That's the nicest and, thing you've ever said to me, Al. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 of course, you know, you, know, the, you know, the people who are watching the film, they don't care about all of that. They, they want to go and they want, they want to see Tom Cruise in his blue jeans, in his white t-shirt, his white t-shirt, his bomber jacket, drive around in his motorbike and fly these amazing jets. That's what they want to see. And they want to see, like and for me and, you know, for a lot of the audience, we want to see, you know, the pilots with their shirts off running around um, in the sand. And that's what we got. That's <laughs> what we got. You know, it was, br- it was brilliant. Did it tick all these other boxes? No. But you know what? It earned its $1.4 billion. Let's agree to disagree on that one, Al. (laughs) Here are the nominees for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards. Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inishirin, Triangle of Sadness, The Fablemans, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar Way of Water, Elvis and Tar. Now, big range of films there from the art house to the blockbuster. Al, which is your pick to take out the award for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards? Oh, my God, there's just so many pictures. Why do they have to nominate so many? Well, you know, it was a few years ago <laughs> that it was five each year and then they upped it to ten. And I think it was as a way of opening the category up to some of these blockbusters to attract more audiences. They increased the amount of nominees, you know, at the time that the viewership was falling. Right. So now the penny drops. Now the film. You know, this is a hard one. This is really a hard one. <laughs> I, I, I struggle. Okay. Listen, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to bet on it. Um, listen, personally, I think I would like to see Elvis win Best Picture despite its flaws because Baz and Austin, the performance. It's a. It's it's a fantastic production. I loved it. But, you know, all the buzz is around everything, everywhere, all at once. But, you know, I'm rooting for Elvis. Could it be a dark horse? What about you? Uh, I mean, is there any point casting predictions? I mean, everyone's money is on everything, everywhere, all at once. I, I, I really think it would be an upset if that film didn't win. And frankly, looking at the list, I just don't know what film could win, but for everything, everywhere, all at once. Can you imagine if Top Gun Maverick took out the Oscar for Best Picture of the Year? I mean, it would just be a travesty. It, it, it would be a travesty, but boy, would I laugh. <laughs> I would chuckle. I would chuckle. I think it would be a hoot. And, you know, you know, would there be a third Top Gun film? Is there talk of a third Top Gun film? I, I certainly hope not. But for me, Daniel, the big thing that's missing here for me is the whale. I don't understand why the whale did not get a Guernsey for best picture. I am mystified. Well, look, Everything Everywhere All at Once swept all four major Guild Awards, right? The Director's Guild Award, the Producer's Guild Award, the Writer's Guild Awards, and the Screen Actors Guild Award. It is inconceivable to me that it will not win Best Picture. Now, I have been wrong a hundred times before, uh, but this year, I don't think so. I think this is Everything Everywhere All at Once's Race to Lose. So, our to take us out for this week of Outtakes, let's take a listen to the trailer 
to everything, everywhere, all at once. Mark my words, this will be the winner. You know what? I I shouldn't be so confident because this is podcast and everyone listening to the podcast, if I'm wrong, will know it when they're listening to this podcast. Well, you know what? Do you only live once? And, um, and you know what? I would say that our podcast audience will forgive you. After all, this is a prediction show. And, um, and look, it wouldn't be the first time you've had egg on your face. <laughs> uh, on that note, this is the trailer to um, our pick for Best Picture of the Year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. You've been listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.